let's start with our core scripture. Um, um, I reviewed a bunch of things last week that I'm not going to review again. So I'll just start with Matthew chapter 9, um, 37 through chapter 10, verse 1. And that is our core scripture for those of you in Destiny Generation that had our um, sheets at the beginning of the year. Um, when we give our prophetic impressions, this was the piece that was on it. And it says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And so one of the things we talked about the fact is that to really get to, um, you know, our theme for the year was destined for deliverance, discipleship, and dominion. Before he would give them dominion over the enemy, they had to already be disciples. And so this is a necessary phase. Some people don't get to the dominion that God has for them because they haven't properly transition through the discipleship phase. Not that you transition to the point that you get out of it, but that it is an integral part of your life. It's one of the reasons why we go in the confession that we do believer, epistle, disciple to pathfinder. You know, that, that you know, your pastor is very strategic about how he says certain things and tries to build them because you got to be a believer first before you can reach the place of discipleship. Um, and so, you know, that's a really important thing. Jesus said that the challenge to the Lord of the harvest is not the harvest, but the harvesters. The challenge is never the harvest. The challenge is the harvesters. And to reach to the harvest, harvesting part that God has for you, you have to be a disciple. You have to be a disciple. Then we gave you Matthew 10, 24. You just look at that scripture again. Um, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Um, I like the way the King James says it. The King James says that a disciple is not above his master, nor a servant above his Lord. And so um, if you are a disciple, somebody that is a master teacher in your life, you you follow them, you you subscribe to them. You don't um, you don't check in and check out. Um, if they're really a thing that that you're walking in discipleship, now if they get off the path that they were discipling on, on then hey, then I didn't leave you, you left me. Okay, but if there is a thing where they're continuing to walk out truth, then you let that truth live in your life, even if they've gone on. You know, some of the people who who were the master teachers in my life are in heaven, but their truth isn't. <laughs> All of us should be disciples of Jesus and Jesus is seated at the right hand of the father. But his truth is here with us on the earth. All right. And so you you continue to live out that truth. I then gave you some definitions for disciple. Um, let's look up the key definitions for disciple. There's the Greek word mathetes, where we get the word mathematics, um, that a disciple is a mathematically precise learner. 
They are they are very intentional. Math, math is an intentional kind of thing. You can be fuzzy at them arts, but you get into math, it's pretty exacting. Okay, because if you start the problem wrong, there's probably not a high likelihood that the answer will be right. Okay, because math, it builds. Anybody ever solve one of them long math problems? Brother Charles, you've been working on some of them long math problems, don't you? You get a calculus problem, it can take every, you can start off with, you know, algebra, geometry, analytical geometry, trigonometry, all in a single problem, and then come down with some good old, you know, multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction at the end, all in a single problem. But if the first phase is wrong, the rest of it can't be right. That's what discipleship is like. If you don't have this part of your life right, everything falls apart. Okay, so it's a disciple is, is a learner. Now go into the, oh, it's right there. Stay there. Um, so it comes from the word Matheo, which means to learn or to understand. And then I gave you an acrostic definition for a disciple. A disciple is a dedicated, dedicated. That means they stay with it. Inspired. That means they bring their own internal motivation. A dedicated, inspired student co committing to integrating principles for living in excellence integrating principle. A person is called an, a person of integrity, integral, integrate. Talks about a person where their, their thoughts, their words, their actions are all aligned. A person of integrity doesn't say one thing and then in another form do something different. They're consistent. You know what to expect. All right. So a disciple is a person that's making themselves one with the principles of the word of God. A disciple of Jesus says, I'm going to take these principles and I'm going to pull them into my life to the extent that even in trouble, they're the first thing that come out of me. All right. A disciple, dedicated, inspired student, committed to integrating, making one with their lives, principles for living in excellence. All right. And then we talked about the fact that Jesus himself, that a disciple, those principles form a school of thought. And the school of thought that Jesus um, committed himself to and became a disciple of before he discipled others, he himself became a disciple by, through the process of baptism, aligning himself with the prominent teacher of this school of thought called the kingdom. So I've given you a definition of the kingdom, right? We said the kingdom um, is the sovereign rulership and governing influence of a sovereign um, of a king over his territory, that's the king's domain, impacting it with his will, intent, purpose, and creating a citizenry that reflect the culture and the nature of the king. That's why the Bible says, don't hate, love your enemies, be perfect, be mature, because your heavenly father is perfect. Forgive because your father is a forgiver. Love because your father is a lover. Be holy because your father is holy. He wants your character to reflect him. You're integrating his thing, his, his principles into your life. And you're allowing his, his dictates, 
his directions, his rules, his laws to govern your life. And through you to influence the realm with of, of, of the sphere of your influence. The kingdom recognizes that what's in the palace, what's in the capital city should be in the colony. You can still go to Rome and see the glory of Rome and see that there are still elements from the mother country that are still there today. Or let's talk about it this way, right? Um, you go to, to places that were part of the British Empire. We were one. Part of that influence is the fact that we speak English. All right? And then you go to some of the islands um, like you know, Bahamas, Jamaica, and other places, they drive on the other side of the road because of the influence of being part of the British Empire. Somebody know what I'm talking about? Anybody been there? Okay. And so the influence of the mother country of the capital, they still, some of them still sing, God save the queen, born to reign over us. They recognize that even though they technically have independence, there's still markings of the influence of the mother country on the colony. That's what the kingdom is supposed to be. Our mother country is heaven. The scripture says your citizenship is from above. And we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in the, in the colony as it is in the capital city. All right. And so that's what the kingdom is. And um, and so we gave you these seven quick points on the kingdom school of thought. Seven quick points on the kingdom school of thought. We said that, number one, Jesus aligned himself with the kingdom thinking through baptism by its most prominent teacher, that being John the Baptist. Two, upon commissioning to ministry, Jesus preached the same message, changed the way you think. Because the kingdom has arrived, kingdom of heaven has arrived. And because it's a school of thought, the way you think has to change. You have to integrate through this new pattern of thinking because it's a school of thought. You must repent. Repent doesn't mean feel bad. That's penance, not repentance. Repentance means to change the way you think. So if your thinking is wrong, then you have to go through a process of attacking those wrong thoughts and aligning your thought with the thoughts from heaven, not from earth. Number three, Jesus spent significant time on teaching patterns, principles and prophecies that would bring kingdom influence to earth in partnership with his people. He called them kingdom keys. He'd give you keys of the kingdom so that what you bound on earth would be bound in heaven, what you loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven, that there would be this partnership between heaven and earth so that you can bring to the colony the influence of the mother country. Okay. Number four, Jesus instructed his disciples to preach the same kingdom that he preached. Five, 
Jesus declared that the critical sign of his return was the gospel of the kingdom being preached to the ends of the earth. Six, this is a commentary. Often we, pre we believers preach Jesus, not the message Jesus preached. There's only a few verses that talk about being born again, but a whole lot more verses that talk about the kingdom. I was having a discussion again with the man that I was been discipling some and man, the whole message of the Bible is the love of God. It's the love. It's the cross. It's the love. Man, I'm not against the love of God. OK, don't don't say what I didn't say, but hold it. How many times did Jesus say love and how many times did he say kingdom? Have you ever done the search before you just try to kick it back at me? You know, do your due diligence because I've done mine. I'm just saying. And there's people who believe in the love of God who won't obey the laws of God. There's people who follow the person of Jesus who won't who won't integrate the principles of Jesus. OK. And so we want to be people that go beyond just being believers to, to that stage called disciples, because that's a necessary phase. If you're going to if you're going to actually walk in the, all of the things that God has for you in your life. Finally, number seven. Jesus promised that those who practice kingdom principles. Influence others to do so and serve the king by serving his citizens would achieve kingdom greatness in his eyes. Jesus said that those um, who, who did his will, taught others how to do it, would be great in the kingdom. Those who disobeyed and then taught others to disobey. It don't take all of that. Jesus understands that you have an alternative lifestyle and your love life is what the Bible calls deviant. He, called, he says those will be the least in the kingdom. And then he said, who is the greatest among you in the kingdom but the one who is the servant to all? So obedience, influence, and service is the way that you rise to kingdom greatness. It's not in my notes. At least not in the one that I got on my paper, but it's coming back to me. So I'm going to say it. Obedience, doing the kingdom principles yourself. Influence, impacting others lives so that they do the kingdom work themselves. And then service, serving other kingdom citizens and even serving the world is all those are the ways that we get greatness in the kingdom. OK, and so that's that's the pieces of kingdom thought that we want to make sure is integrated into our life. I want to be obedient myself. I want to influence others with my obedience to obey the king as well. And then I want to serve as many people as I can, the best I can, as a way to, to uh, achieve kingdom greatness and prominence in my own life. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Five discipleship principles. Five discipleship principles that we're going to deal. And we're going to, we're going to see how far we get into breaking down number three. Um, every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. You can, as a believer, there are things that you believe, but you haven't discipled yourself enough to practice them in your own life. 
but every disciple is a believer. Got it? Number two, it takes one to make one. <laughs> you can't carry people where you don't go yourself. Number three, and this is the one that we're going to start breaking down today. And, and if I don't finish it, I probably won't finish it today. Um, because number three actually has four different subcategories in it. Discipleship requires, number one, preeminent commitment. Number two, principal living. Three, purposeful benevolence. And four, productive, effective action to be effective. And so um, that's the one we want to spend some time on. Number four, discipleship requires the disciple to pay it forward. Jesus said, disciple, if you've been discipled, then you should disciple others. And five, Jesus commits himself to stay with the discipling disciple to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. So um, number one is easy. Number two, it takes one to make one. That's the key that that's why Jesus acknowledged John and was baptized by him saying, I need to demonstrate that even though I'm the master teacher, that I myself am a disciple by being baptized by John. Got it? All right. And then, um, and that's why, um, let me just say this, because sometimes people challenge me, but like, like how, many, how many fathers and bishops and apostles you got? Enough to keep me on the straight and narrow. I know who's telling me what. I know what place. You know, they, it may not make sense to you. They not, <laughs> you not their disciple. I am. Okay. And listen, as a pastor, I know that there should be other voices in your life besides me because I don't have all of the gifts. No one person had all of the gifts except Jesus of Nazareth. If he raised apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, you might need more than one gift to get you to your destination. I'm just saying. And um, you just got to be clear where they stand. All right. You just got to be clear. Okay. This person can speak to me, guide me here. This is, you know, this is how this fits. All right. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's good to have leaders that submit to other leaders. Like my one of the main reasons I do this is because I know I don't have everything and that's okay. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like you want to have it where you can check to make sure like I have voices around me. Fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. So um, each one has a place that if something comes up and I get one or two or three coming at me, then I got to stop and say, hold it. Something's wrong. Now, my sons don't have the same authority as my fathers do. In my life, but I, I would be remiss if I poured myself into my sons and then they came back and gave me a harvest on my own seed that I ignored it. You can't tell me nothing. You the child. Shut up. Hold it. Hold it. Pumped in brakes. The children that you train may be able to tell you something that you need. I'm just saying. Okay. Sometimes 
Lady Nedra tells me some hard stuff and she knows I don't like it. And if I'm unhappy and you know it, then my face will surely show it. But hold it. I would be remiss if God, if I say God sent her to me and I call her the sexy voice of the Holy Spirit. That if she has something to say that I just completely throw it aside. Now, she says something, sometimes I put it on the shelf and then my father, she'd be like, wait, I told you the same thing. Okay, hold it. Just, just run in your own lane. See, wise, y'all know what I'm talking about. I told him the same thing and then pastor said he did it. That's not a bad thing. That means God is using all other people that are around him to speak to him. That's not a bad thing. What you want, what you don't want is that you got a husband and can't nobody tell him nothing. That's when your life in trouble. Yeah, yeah. If you got somebody and can't nobody talk to him and get through to him, you in trouble. It's a discipleship issue and having people around you that can speak to you. All right, so let's go into number three. Discipleship requires, let's deal with that first one, preeminent commitment. Preeminent commitment says that if you're in the kingdom and a disciple, that you love the king more than family and self, and that you forsake all to follow the king. Look at Luke chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 25 through 35. You getting something out of this? All right. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, so they were already following. Great multitudes were followers. They were following because they believed him. And then he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So there is a there is a standard of disciple that that begins to weed out certain followers. What is the thing that that has your primary um, affection? That's what I mean when I say preeminent commitment. I'm committed to this above everything else and above everyone else. Even my own life. All right. Um, He cannot be my disciple. Now, look at verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower? Now, in the King David version, it says, sit your happy self down. But it don't quite say that in the New King James. You ever had your parents say that? Sit your happy self down. Did y'all know that terminology? That might. (laughs) That's what he said. If you're intending to build a tower, sometimes people get super excited and then don't follow through. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he had has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it began to mock him. He began to build. They began to mock. Verse 30, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Look at verse 31. Or what king going to, to make war 
against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, the garbage heap sewage dump, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about the paddles on the side of your head, by the way. He's saying, is your heart perceptive to receive the significance of this saying? All right, pastor's going to kind of challenge you on, do you got ears to hear the difficult things that Jesus is saying here right now? So let's just talk about this one. Discipleship requires preeminent commitment. Preeminent commitment means it's the committed thing that I'm committed to before all other things, before all other people, before all other relationships, before everything else in my life, Jesus got to be first. Okay? That's what he's saying. If you got something else that you love more than him, you're going to wash out. You're not going to be able to finish the race. The disciple has allegiance to the person, to the person, to the preaching and the principles of Jesus above his own life, his own livelihood and his own lifestyle. All right. So I'm committed to the person, the preaching and the principles of Jesus above my own life. Somebody comes in here now with the gun and says, deny Jesus or I'm going to kill you. You need to be ready to take the bullet. I'm mad at nobody, but that's what he said. If you don't hate this above your own life, then you're not ready. All right. The disciple commits to the difficult parts of achieving purpose, not just the fun parts, but the difficult ones. That's what he says when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. The, the cross was the difficult part of Jesus purpose. It was hard on him. It hurted him. It was the difficult part. And so I want to be ready even when it's difficult. To follow Jesus. That's what it says. That's that's the other part of preeminent commitment. Now, he says, if you don't have this, you cannot be my disciple. It isn't it isn't like Jesus is standing at the door, like carding you in the kingdom, you know, like you go into the club and then they checking IDs at the door and they're like, OK, you can go in. Girl, you pretty. Come on in. You ain't you ain't got nothing. You just come on in. It's not like Jesus is saying that. If you actually do a study on the word, what it's saying is Jesus is running so fast. And um, because you got other distractions in your life, you can't keep up with him. The things is weighing you down. He's not trying to keep you out. You just can't keep up. A person who loves other stuff, 
that stuff that they love is going to slow them down to the point that Jesus is going to lap you several times because you can't keep up with him because the other stuff is getting in the way. You're supposed to be at church, but you hanging out. Supposed to be here, but you're clubbing. You got other things that's keeping you away from what's the main thing. You can't, you're not a disciple. I didn't say you weren't a believer, but he said you, I didn't say you weren't even a follower, but you're not yet a disciple. It's that you start working out the formula to the problems of your life and you can't get through to the correct answer at the end. You start the problem right. It's a long math problem and you start it right, but you can't, you can't work all the calculations to get you to the finish. You just run out of steam. Then he talked about the man who began to build but didn't have enough resources to finish the job. You had enough materials to start to start visibly where other people can see it. They could see the foundation that he started, but he didn't have enough to finish it. And they said, this fool, he started, but he couldn't finish the job. And everybody make fun of him. The second story says that when you do this, you are outgunned from the get go. (laughs) If you have an army of 10,000 and the other person has an army of 20,000, you outgunned from the start. A person whose heart is out of it, that you taking guns away from from your own life battle. So I want to make sure that my commitment to Jesus is the most preeminent thing. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah, I want to make sure that I got the fight in me to finish the whole job. Minister Nona said we're. We are soldiers in the army, even when we got to cry. Yeah, that's talking about the size of the fight that's inside of you. I'm committed to Jesus above all else. Got some instructions from God about what he wants me to do in this period. And I'm going to tell you, if I'm here all by myself, I'm going to be there. If I had to have a camera up in front of myself to preach it to myself, I'm going to do it because I'm going to finish the way he told me to do it. I'm not mad with people because they drop off. But listen, I wasn't doing it for them. No way. I was doing it for the king. They can't be first. I'm not angry, but they just can't be first. I got to do it for him. I can't even be first. I'm crying and still doing my job because my job is not about me. It's about him that sent me to do the job. The disciple has mastered the counterintuitive conundrum of the kingdom. You must sacrifice what you cannot keep in order to gain what you cannot lose. It's counterintuitive. It's a conundrum. It's a riddle. You must sacrifice what you cannot keep in order to gain what you cannot lose. He that will gain his life will lose it. 
but he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. You must sacrifice what you can't keep. You can't gain your own life by keeping it. The only way you can gain it is by losing it for his sake. The last point is that you are designed by God to be salt. Salt was used in the times before refrigeration to keep things from spoiling and make it fit for consumption. It is not useful for helping. It is not useful for helping the land to be good for crops. It, it was useful for helping the land to be good for crops or even the outhouse to keep the smell down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, salt was a good thing. The, in one account, Jesus, in one account of this, Jesus said, you get trampled under the feet of men when you have lost your saltiness. The point is simply, if you fail the discipleship test yourself, you will fail at life and men will run all over you. You will either be table salt or road salt. You choose. You know, there is a salt that I eat, but there's another kind of salt we put out. You know, we in Michigan. Wintertime, we use salt on the roads, don't we? It's very important. But nobody goes down and gets some road salt and says, man, that tastes good. You don't put road salt on food. You walk on road salt. It's, its purpose is to be walked over. When you fail at this discipleship test, your purpose becomes for people to run all over you. And you and I all know Christians who life has run them over. And Jesus said that's that's one of the effects of you not giving him your preeminent commitment. Now, how many of you had parents that if a bully ran you home, they made you go back out and fight? Anybody know had them kind of parents? They figured you had better learn to deal with it or you'll be run over the rest of your life. This is why churches fail at doing right things, but gangs succeed at doing wrong. They understand what it means to be ride or die. So Jesus said, I got to make sure that you hear this. If you don't accept the real call to discipleship, not just getting saved for fire insurance, your life will be a failure. You'll have success inside of you in seed form, but you're, you will be experiencing failure because you haven't made Jesus first. It's not designed. The, it, the, the system won't work for you if you don't put your whole self in. I was a kid. We used to play the hokey pokey. You put your left foot in. You take your left foot out. You put your left foot in. What you do? Shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey. Turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. Okay, some people, that's how their spiritual life is. They put part of themselves in, and then they take that part out. It won't work for you. Hokey pokey Christianity will not make you successful. You will be road salt. The enemy will roll all over you when you are designed to roll over him. And it's not because Jesus don't want to do it. It's because he's lapping you and you can't keep up with him. 
All right. That's why I tell people I have too much knowledge to backslide. I can't listen. The devil would love to get me on the other side. He would he would take joy in taking me out. I know too much. And so do you. So stop playing with this thing like you got an option to just play on it. No, you don't have an option. It's time for you to grow up. Suck it up, buttercup. Okay. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So maybe you're not being all in is why you can't get your act together and win, even though you are saved. So this one is a commitment. This is a gut check on your commitment. And what we're challenging is seek God. Is there something that's in front of me that you're trying to get me to put in its proper place? Abraham, that son Isaac, I gave you. Bring him on the altar. The son that you love. Is there something in front of you that has to be sacrificed so that you can experience the best of what God has for you. Abraham didn't, he didn't let God laugh. And he said, okay, you want me to do this? I'm going to keep running with you all the way to the end. He didn't stop along the journey because the price got too high. Some people, Jesus gave them some difficult commands and then, oh Lord, you, we loved you in the good times, but this, this command is too hard. I got to turn back around. Don't be that kind of disciple. Don't opt out of your discipleship commitment. Make it the preeminent, the very first thing that has the, the priority in your life. Come on, let's stand. Did this bless you?